Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Market Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we've been discussing here at Quilt Achievement. I'm Chris Scott, Trainee Investment Manager based out of our Glasgow office. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by Richard Carter, Head of Fixed Interest Research and Corporate Affairs Executive James Ventress. Good morning to you both. There's a lot going on in the markets just now. And in this week's podcast, we will be covering the impact of last week's budget announcement, COP26, and the threat of rising inflation and interest rates. But before we get into these topics, Richard, I thought it'd be a good idea to gather your thoughts on the forthcoming central banks meetings and what we can expect to come out of these. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Chris. It's a big week for, for central banks. I mean, obviously, we, we've had this sort of uh, improvement in global in the global economy, you know, sort of as the pandemic eases, but we've got this uh, big inflation problem at the same time for all the sort of reasons um, we've discussed. And um, you know, it looks like this week we're going to uh, see some sort of actual changes from from some of the world's major central banks. So it should be pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, the one that people would normally focus on the most is is the Federal Reserve. They're meeting on. Uh, Wednesday, but I think um, what they're going to do is kind of largely priced into markets and kind of largely expected by most people. So there shouldn't be too much of a shock. I mean, it looks like they're going to um, not raise interest rates or anything like that, God forbid, but they're going to be um, starting to reduce their, their their QE purchases, so tapering as, as, the, as the market phrase is. So they'll be uh, announcing when that's going to start and sort of at what pace it'll be and, and when it will finish. But as I say, they're some way off from actually raising interest rates at the moment. Um, Bank of England, different story. So they're meeting on Thursday. Um, this one looks to be on a knife edge. We've, we've heard um, a lot from some members of, of the committee, the sort of more hawkish members of the committee, who suggest that they think they will be raising interest rates at this meeting on Thursday. Um, but perhaps it will be a close vote because there's quite a few dovish people on the committee who maybe um, don't agree with that. But um, as, as things stand, they could be raising interest rates maybe by 15 basis points and also uh, ending QE early. So it's going to be pretty interesting. They, they're trying to um, basically get on top of rising inflation expectations, although uh, I'm not really sure that you know raising interest rates is going to help people with their tax bills or their uh, fuel bills. So it's you know, a bit more pr- pressure for the UK consumer to come. Thanks, Richard. Last week, Rishi Sunak announced the autumn budget, setting out the government's tax and spending plans for the year ahead. Richard, what do you feel were the main points of the announcement and what impact do you predict these will have in the investment world? Well, I mean, if, if you picked up a newspaper on uh, the day after the budget, you'd think that, you know, Rishi had come, Rishi Sunak had come to the rescue of beer drinkers and all the rest of it. And uh, isn't it marvellous? I mean, I think the big sort of announcement, frankly, wasn't in the budget. It was a few weeks earlier when they uh, jacked up uh, national insurance rates to pay for the NHS and and social care. Um, But I mean, bigger picture, you know, they're trying to repair the finances after after COVID. Um, They are gradually doing that, aided by some uh, pretty outlandish, I would say, growth forecasts, which probably won't ever come to pass. But, um, you know, so it's, it's you know, the finances are kind of moving in the right direction, but uh, there's still a long way to go. Actually, guilt markets responded pretty well. The um, issuance numbers uh, that came out of the budget were a lot lower than expected. So um, despite the fact that central banks might be about to raise rates, the uh, guilt market had a pretty good week last week. 
And James, do you have anything to add from Sunak's announcements? Yeah, well, it was a very interesting budget in that this was the third budget from Rishi Sunak, but actually it was really the first that he's um, been allowed to focus on his main priorities rather than dealing with the challenges uh, of the pandemic. Um, and we could really see um, what kind of chancellor he wants to be for the next few years up until the next election. And that's really a high spending um, chancellor focused on public services, more akin to the George um, more akin to Gordon Brown rather than George Osborne. And I mean, we've seen the OBR say that spending will grow from 39.8% of GDP um, to 41.6% by 2026, which is the highest level since the 1970s. Uh, and, and taxes will rise from 33.5% of GDP to 36.2% of GDP. And this is a level we haven't seen since the 1950s. So he is a very, very different chancellor from the usual breed of conservative or fiscal conservative chancellors um, and we can really see the focus on public services public spending uh, and, and we can really see the sort of path to the next election particularly when you look at the the rabbit that was drawn out of the hat which was Sunak's commitment to restore the aid budget back to 0.7 percent of GDP if the fiscal conditions uh, allow that to be so um, so you could really see Sunak sort of working towards the next election in a few years' time. Thanks, James. So as part of the budget, it was announced that the Office for Budget Responsibility predicted inflation rising to 4% next year. Richard, do you see this as transitory or do you think this will be a longer term issue? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the OBR's forecast is probably not, you know, uh, a million miles away from, um, you know, kind of what the rest of the market or the Bank of England is expecting. I think, in fact, I think the Bank of England expects it might be a little bit over over four percent. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's a big debate at the moment. You know, is this a transitory thing or is it going to be more persistent? And the truth is, um, you know, it, it's looking a little bit more persistent than we than we thought, and that's um, you've seen that sort of. Uh, been accepted by investors and seen that discounted in bond markets. And, and frankly, that is why um, central banks are starting to get a little bit nervous. That's why um, the language from central bankers has changed in the recent recent uh, few weeks. Uh, it's why the Bank of England looks like it could be raising interest rates this week. I mean, I, th I, I do think once we get through the winter, as long as the sort of, you know, fuel prices, once they get under control a little bit, um, and once some of these supply and sort of employment shortages get sorted out, you will start to see inflation come back, uh, back down towards more normal levels. But but clearly for now, um, it is a bit of a problem. And as, as I say, the, the central banks don't want to lose credibility. Um, they don't want to get let expectations get out of control, which is why some of them at least are starting to talk a bit tough. Thanks, Richard. And finally, there's a real buzz around my hometown of Glasgow at the moment, with COP26 kicking off this week. This, of course, will be dominating the headlines over the next fortnight. But James, what do you foresee being the main outcomes of this and how will this impact the investment universe? Yeah, so you're quite right. It's going to be all we hear about over the next few few weeks. And indeed, we've heard some very strong words from the Prime Minister over the weekend. And I think the most important um, piece of COP26 is the fact that countries are being asked pre-COP and during COP to come to the summit with ambitious 2030 carbon reduction plans called nationally determined contributions. Um, and as part of the Paris Agreement, 
uh, signed in 2015 at the summit in, in Paris. Um, nations have been asked to come with um, ambitious carbon reduction plans every five years. And this COP summit in Glasgow marks the first five years of that cycle. Um, and you'll remember last year's summit was cancelled because of coronavirus. So this is the first of those five year cycles. So it's very, very important for setting the agenda for the next five years. And that's why the Prime Minister's put so much emphasis on the need for countries to come to COP with these ambitious carbon reduction targets. Now, the Prime Minister's already um, been quite clear in terms of what he wants to achieve from the summit other than these nationally determined contributions. And those are four key elements. Um, so the Prime Minister is going to be pushing for an agreement on coal, cars, cash and trees. Um, so on coal, the UK government wants to uh, eradicate the use of coal worldwide. So they've set targets to phase out the use of coal by 2030 in developed countries uh, and by 2040 in developing countries. And on cars, the PM's ambition is for only zero emission vehicles to be on sale anywhere in the world by 2040. So he's really going to be pushing um, governments to uh, agree on targets at this COP summit um, to phase out the use of petrol and diesel cars. Um, and on cash, developed nations um, have historically uh, been asked to pledge $100 billion worldwide of finances to go from developed nations to developing nations so that developing nations can mitigate the effects of climate change. Um, and so far, countries have fallen short of this target. So at the moment, we're about $20 billion um, short of this target globally. So the Prime Minister and his negotiators at this summit will be looking to get firmer commitments from governments, uh, increased spending commitments from governments, so we can meet that $100 billion target. And the last element that the government's really going to be pushing is on trees uh, and the need for um, restoration of biodiversity and natural habitats. So the, the Prime Minister is looking for an agreement to halt deforestation by 2030. Um, and I think this is going to be a very, very ambitious target, but it's really important that biodiversity uh, has been included uh, within the COP summits. Now for investors, I, I think the, the transition is what, for investors, I think the, the direction of travel uh, is very, very clear. And that is that we countries are going to have to be required to go through this transition process to achieve net zero by a target date, whether that's 2050 or 2060 for other countries. And it's really going to require a whole economy approach. I think the UK is a, is a prime example of this, that the UK government has managed to achieve some really, really um, successful carbon reduction um, levels since the last 20 years. But actually, what's been happening has been stuff in the background. So energy systems, things where consumers aren't really affected. And the next stage of those carbon reduction plans are where consumers are going to play a really, really important part and where businesses are going to be playing a really, really important part. So electric vehicles is a classic example of that. And the rise of electric vehicles has really been set by uh, governments and by the regulatory agenda. And that's only going in one, one direction for the next next few years um, and we've seen the UK set plans to ban the sale of petrol and diesel cars by 2030. Um, Norway has an earlier plan for 2025, California is looking at 2035 and no doubt the more and more countries will set similar targets for the end of petrol and diesel cars. Um, so that's clearly going to have a big, big sway on the, the auto market in the coming years um, and I think the 
other sectors and other businesses are also going to have to face up for this to this need to transition their business models and systems to achieve net zero by uh, a certain stage. That's great, thank you. So before we wrap things up, I would just like to thank you both for your very insightful comments. And I'd also like to recommend a few of our upcoming events. Starting this Wednesday, Joe Fairley, co-founder of Green and Black's Chocolate, will be hosting our three-part webinar series called Conversations That Matter as part of our Women and in Investing initiative. Our experts will discuss the importance of having those sometimes difficult financial conversations to ensure your family's wealth is preserved, as well as discussing why not all risk is bad. Monday the 15th of November sees the return of our award-winning Paraplanner Week, 8 till 9 a.m. each morning. Our guest speakers will be discussing current key topics as well as looking into the sectors they believe will be impacting your clients' portfolios over the coming years. And finally, our bi-weekly research analyst webinar series, Getting Back to the Future, continues on Tuesday. This week's topic is Why Your Health is Your Greatest Wealth. Join us as we, as we review how these two areas are so importantly linked. You can visit our website to view the full schedule and reserve your places for all of these events. And for anyone who misses any, you can watch all past episodes on demand via our website. In the meantime, to stay up to date with our thoughts on the markets, you can subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter by visiting www.quiltachieviate.com. For those of you on social media, you'll be able to see up-to-date content on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. All that remains for me is to thank Richard and James for your time today and to all of you for listening. We look forward to seeing you at the same time next week. 